Hello and welcome into the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and I am still riding very high off of uh, that Ravens victory against the Kansas City Chiefs. Probably, a, this is 100% recency bias talking, but probably a top tier Ravens uh, regular season win. I, I would say it depends on how the rest of the season goes. It 100% depends on how the rest of the season goes, but my God, what a win. Man, they needed that. After the disappointment last week where, let's be honest, the defense played like crap and they absolutely choked against a good Raiders team, but a team they still probably should have beaten. Like, don't get me wrong. The Raiders are very good this year. They they proved that when they beat the Steelers. I mean, they're the Steelers kryptonite for some unknown reason, and they have been for a very long time. Like, even when the Raiders are absolutely putrid, they can beat the crap out of the Steelers. It's, it's kind of insane, and I love them for it, because any misery the Steelers face is just music to my ears. But, my God, the Ravens needed that win. They... Like, they, they needed that win horribly. Because if they had lost to the Chiefs again, the Lamar-hating bullcrap would have gotten even worse. And, uh, well, why don't you just, uh, why don't you just go look at their, their numbers? I think, I, I know total yardage ended up being exactly the same between, between the two of them. Yeah, total yards, 343. Or, that's passing yards. So, 343 passing yards, 3 rushing yards for Patrick Mahomes. 239 passing yards for Lamar Jackson, 107 rushing yards. So, both of those things equal out to 346. And, uh, 3 touchdowns and... Okay, number of interceptions and sacks was different. Mahomes only threw one, but it was um, it was much bigger because it was near the end of the game, and I'm pretty sure the Ravens scored off of that one. Actually, yeah, they they did they did score off of that one. So um, that was big. I mean, the Chiefs scored off the first interception Lamar threw. It was a pick six, and it was very early in the in the game. And I, as soon as I heard that, I thought, Oh God, here we go! Like here we go. It's gonna happen again, and the the hate fest is just gonna rain down and i mean chris collinsworth was doing his best to just like over praise the chiefs i know they're good but my god chris collinsworth is annoying he just seems to hate that one little pocket of the i-95 corridor baltimore and philadelphia he just seems to hate both of them for some reason and i don't get why like he hates philadelphia and he hates baltimore I seriously don't get it, but I mean, that, that could just be me, but I've seen people, I've seen other people say this same thing on Twitter that they don't get why Chris Collinsworth hates the Ravens and the Eagles so much, but that's beside the point. The Ravens looked rough in the first half of that game, but they were in it the entire way. And then in the second half, they were the better team. I know a lot of people won't want to admit that, but the Ravens were the better team in the second half. That's why they won. They would have won by more if not for one of the most egregiously bad illegal man downfield calls I've ever seen. You you can call illegal man downfield on, on basically anything. Like You call illegal man downfield on that, but you don't call the Chiefs on the fact that they're like putting defensive linemen in headlocks on every other play. Like one of, one of the absolute freakish touchdowns that Patrick Mahomes threw, Brandon Williams was in a freaking headlock from one of the chiefs offensive linemen. It's pretty hard to get to the quarterback when you're in that position. Last time I checked, that's textbook holding. But of course the, the chiefs can get away with holding. I don't know why. The chiefs and the bills can just get away with holding calls. I mean, I'm complaining about the refs because the refs were absolutely awful this weekend across the board. Like the new enforcement of the taunting rule is absolutely ridiculous. I'm 
shocked, given how horrible the refs were in Baltimore last night, that they didn't flag Lamar Jackson for doing a literal hand hand plant front flip into the end zone on uh, what ended up being the game-winning touchdown. That was taunting. (laughs) That was actually textbook taunting. He did a front flip into the end zone. But they didn't call that? I mean, I would have lost my mind if they called that because it would have been a stupid call because it's a stupid rule. (coughs) But the way refs were flagging that rule all weekend, like... I'm shocked they didn't call that. But that that image is going to live in the pantheon of Baltimore sports forever. Like, that's going to be up there with... That's going to be up there with Joe Flacco holding the Super Bowl trophy in just the stream of purple and gold confetti. That's going to be up there with all the flashbulbs going off as Cal Ripken hit a towering home run during the 21-31 game. Like, Lamar Jackson doing a front flip into the end zone is going to live in the halls of Baltimore sports forever. And if the Ravens don't build a statue of that very soon, they will have failed as a franchise. I don't know how... Eh, you can you can have him planting his hand on the, uh, on the pedestal. That's how you do it. He's planting his hand on the pedestal. Just just build an upside down sculpture of Lamar Jackson and and mount it to the mount it to the base by his hand instead of his feet. That's that's what you do. But it's uh God it felt good to watch that. Like and and at the very end of the game when it was when it was fourth and one and the Chiefs were celebrating, do not celebrate getting the Ravens to a fourth and one situation because I've heard plenty of people say it and it's a hundred percent true. There is no better team in the NFL at gaining one yard than the Baltimore Ravens. Like they stopped. I think it was, I think it was Tyson Williams. I want to say it was Williams. They stopped him short and he was just barely short and they were all doing the fist. They were all doing like the fourth down fist and it's like, why are you celebrating this? The Ravens go for it on fourth down in most situations. Especially situations like this, where you're only up one with like a minute to go. You don't want to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Like, sure, the defense has been doing its job in the second half, but you do not want to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes with a minute and, I think it was 15, 16 seconds and a timeout. You really don't want to do that. But my God, that victory formation after, well, one, the, it came out immediately after the game. It's, you just see, like, you could see it on the NBC broadcast, NBC's cameras, shout out to NBC's production crew. I may rip on the commentators a lot for not being very good, but NBC's production crew is top tier. It is there's a reason Sunday Night Football is considered the NFL's premier broadcast of the week. Because it's usually the best game, too. It's usually one of the best games. Like, them getting that shot of John Harbaugh just screaming, Lamar! Lamar! Do you want to go for it? Alright, we're going for it. Like, like you could read his lips perfectly, because, one, John Harbaugh has a very expressive face. Especially when he's yelling. Like, John Harbaugh has a very, very expressive face. So does his brother. That is a that is a defining trait of, of Harbaugh men. But, like, you could, you could read his lips perfectly. And that is a, I tweeted it, that is a combination of absolute faith in your quarterback and cast iron balls. And... That's honestly what won that game. A combination of absolute faith in Lamar Jackson to do what he needed to do and cast iron balls. And that and that won the Ravens the game. They they finally got the freaking Chiefs monkey off their back and won a game against the Chiefs in prime time. And that's always been the thing. 
in the entire John Harbaugh era, that was always the thing. First, it was they couldn't beat the Steelers. Then they started beating the Steelers pretty regularly. Then it was, oh, they can't beat the Patriots. Then they started beating the Patriots pretty regularly. It was, oh, they couldn't beat the Titans. They beat the Titans in the playoffs last year. And uh, embarrassed them in the process. Then it was, oh, they can't beat the Chiefs. Well, now they beat the Chiefs, and uh, they don't play the Titans in the regular season this year, and the Titans' defense sucks. They're just lucky they're in a really bad division. Like, sure, the Titans won against the Seahawks yesterday, but, I mean, Derrick Henry went off. He's a freak of nature. But Ryan Tannehill's not a good quarterback, and that defense is garbage, and so is that offensive line. I, I didn't forget Ryan Tannehill getting absolutely eaten alive by the Cardinals' front seven. That that happened. Like, don't forget week one did in fact happen, and I could see against some of the more threatening front sevens of the NFL... That same thing happening. Like, if they have to play... If they have to play the Steelers this year, which I think they do, I'm pretty sure they actually do. Gonna, gonna check their schedule, because I believe they, they do, in fact, have to play the Steelers this year. If they're going up against the Steelers, they're going to... Yeah, they have the Steelers. Week 15... Yeah, week 15 on December 19th. They have to play the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's going to be funny. Well, it's going to be funny because I hate both teams with a burning passion. So either of them losing would be out. It, it depends on what helps the Ravens more. Because that, that game is still basically three months away. So it's going to depend on what helps the Ravens more. Does the Steelers, hopefully the Steelers losing will help the Ravens more. Cause that means we're talking a divisional race situation, which I don't think the Steelers will be involved in, but maybe them losing will help the Ravens in some way. Like, I think, I think the Steelers are going to be fighting for a wild card with, uh, well, whoever loses the division out of the Ravens and Browns is basically guaranteed to get the first wild card. Whoever loses the division out of the Ravens and Browns or the Chargers are probably going to be the first AFC wild card. That's just my guess right now on the last day of week two. Is that the Ravens and Browns and Chargers, one of those three teams is going to get the first AFC wild card spot. That's that's my prediction right now. And I think I'm pretty safe in making that one. One, I'm technically picking three teams. I'm saying one of three teams will get this spot, which is a good prediction to make in September. Like, whoever doesn't win the division out of the Ravens and Browns is, is going to get a wild card spot. And then that team and the Chargers will be fighting for the first. Because... I think all of those teams are pretty much guaranteed to make the playoffs. I mean, unless the the Chargers just continue to be absolutely cursed. They had no business. More, more so the Cowboys. The Cowboys had no business losing that game yesterday. But the Chargers are just absolutely cursed to never make clutch kicks. Ever. Like, the Cowboys had zero business winning that game. But they did. Same thing. Same thing with the Cardinals. Like the Cardinals should not have beaten the Vikings. They're, I think the Cardinals are a better team. They pro The game probably shouldn't have been that close on paper. But the, the Chargers and the Vikings are just both absolutely cursed to never make clutch kicks. As... As a Ravens fan, um, I I can't say I sympathize because for most of the Ravens' existence, they've had one of the they've had one of the best kickers of all time on their roster, but split between two different people. 
Split between Matt Stover and Justin Tucker, they've had two of the best kickers in the history of football. Justin Tucker is. He's he's still considered the most accurate kicker in NFL history statistically. Like that is that is just stats. That is raw numbers. And Matt Stover was up there too. Like I remember I remember Hauschka and I remember Crossbar Cundiff. But uh yeah, I, Ravens fans do not know that that level of pain that Vikings and Chargers fans have faced when it comes to clutch kicks. Like, we know nothing of that pain. We try to pretend we do because, like, the Cundiff miss was heartbreaking. But at the same time, like, it's been vindicated. Like, the, the Cundiff miss was absolutely heartbreaking. I cried that night. But it's been vindicated. Like, the Vikings don't have that. They've they've never really had the vindication of their kicker making a clutch kick. Ever. Same thing with the Chargers. Like, they've never had the vindication of their kicker making a cl- absolutely freakish kick in a huge situation. The, both teams are just straight up cursed to never make those kicks. And speaking of cursed franchises, the poor Dolphins. They lose Tua to an apparent rib injury. And rib injury for a quarterback who's already had hip issues. He might be out for a while. Which is, um, which is not good. And um, combine that with a pissed off Buffalo... Wanting to flex against a division rival. That's how you end up with a 35-0 scoreline. The Dolphins being without Tua and a pissed-off Bills team who probably should have won last week. Not even probably. Should have won last week. You get... You get that. You get Bills 35, Dolphins 0. Which I think is hilarious. I can't really hate either team because I don't really have any bad blood with with either team. They've never done anything horrifically bad to the Ravens. Like, sure, the the Bills knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs last year and and gave and gave Lamar Jackson a concussion. One, that wasn't a dirty hit. It was a clean hit that was just really unlucky. And two, like, I can't hate Josh Allen. Guy's worked his butt off to get to where he is, and I think the Bills Mafia are absolutely amazing. Like, I I can't hate the Bills. I can't hate the Dolphins. The Dolphins have suffered enough. Like, I feel, I feel really bad for them. Like, they finally get their guy after thinking they blew the tank job, and then he still falls to them in the draft anyway. He has a really good year. Leads them to the playoffs. And then in his second year, week two, gets a rib injury that's probably going to knock him out for at least a couple weeks. Oh, what a... What a bad break for the, for the Dolphins. I feel kind of bad for them. They'll probably they'll probably still at least fight for a wildcard spot because the Bills have that division on lock. There's no way the Patriots are going to do anything in that division because... Um, like, sure, they beat the crap out of the Jets, but it's the Jets. Hey, let's let's wait till their schedule gets a little more challenging, shall we? Like, they play... Like, they play the Saints next week. And now, that's the big question. If week one Jameis shows up, the Patriots are going to get curb stomped. If week two Jameis shows up, the Patriots have a chance. Jameis looked like crap in that game against the Panthers. And uh, Panthers, you you have my attention. I knew I knew they were maybe capable of of doing something. Like maybe once Darnold finally got freed of the hellhole that is the New York Jets. But twenty six to seven again against a division rival. That's that's pretty impressive. I mean, I know they have McCaffrey. 
Like, they have Christian McCaffrey, and he is the great equalizer. He's one of the best running backs in the NFL. He's a scary man. But if you look at the breakdowns, they were just the they were just the better team in everything. They barely took any penalties. They didn't punt all that much. They had four sacks on defense, and Jameis threw uh, Jameis threw two interceptions and had a absolutely abysmal twenty six point nine passer rating. So um, he didn't exactly have a great game. That was that was some peak twenty nineteen Jameis things. But if if week one Jameis shows up against the Patriots next week, the Patriots are getting curb stomped. If week two Jameis shows up, they have a chance, but I still don't think they're going to do all that much in their division, really at all. Because I don't think Mac Jones is the guy. No matter how much the how much national sports media really wants me to believe he is the second coming of Tom Brady, he's not that good. He wasn't that good in college. He's not going to be that good in the NFL. No Alabama quarterback other than really Tua and possibly Jalen Smith. The Eagles performance against the Niners has me doubting that. Same thing. Like week one, Jalen Smith is the exception to the whole Alabama quarterbacks suck in the NFL thing. Week two, Jameis is proof. He did not have a very good game. I mean, don't get me wrong. The play calling was um, uninspired and kind of pathetic. But hey, it, they kept it close. The Niners are a better team than the Eagles, but they could have won that game. The Niners didn't play an amazing game, despite the fact that they are definitely better. Like, that game was in Philly. The Eagles had a chance to win that. But it's... uh going to be a wild season because the entire AFC North is one and one right now. I think uh, the entire NFC West is still two and out. Yeah, let's see. I think the entire NFC West, oh, the Seahawks are one and one. The Seahawks are one and one because they lost to the Titans. But yeah, three out of the four teams in the NFC West are two and oh. The NFC North is atrocious. I mean, one of them should win later tonight because the Lions and Packers are playing each other, so another team will be one and one. Unless it ends in a draw, which with how those two teams played in week one is a very real possibility. Uh, The NFC East is still garbage. The Giants are 0-2. I I think that's going to continue as long as Daniel Jones is quarterback. He's... I I have made... I think most of most of the NFL fan base and most of the NFL media have kind of made their decision on Daniel Jones. He's not the guy. He's he's definitively not the guy. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. It's going to be an interesting ride. Um, hopefully the Ravens stop giving me heart attacks because that's two weeks in a row now they've done that, and. Uh, I mean, they get they get the Lions next week, so hopefully that'll be a nice change of pace, where uh, they can just go in and win pretty pretty comfortably and move on to the Broncos. Like the next couple of weeks, I think I think will be an okay break because if if Carson Wentz is injured, the Colts aren't going anywhere because that defense is garbage. Like. How do you sprain both ankles in the same day? Like the football gods must hate that man. Like he had the best season of his entire career, made the Eagles Super Bowl contenders. He like before the playoffs even started, the Eagles were Super Bowl contenders that year. Don't get it twisted. Like the Eagles were considered Super Bowl contenders that year. Just no one thought everyone thought like, oh, they're they're a Philly team. They're cursed. They're not gonna actually do it. Then he tears his ACL and everyone's like, well, crap, there goes our chances. Then they go and win a Super Bowl without him. He comes back there and their reigning champion season ends up being nowhere near as good. Like that man is cursed. He finally reunites with 
his quarterback whisperer coach, who based on the Eagles under Doug Peterson after Frank Reich left, uh, was responsible for getting them to the Super Bowl in the first place. Then he goes and uh, has two really bad games and sprains both his ankles in the second one. That man is cursed. <laughs> Played at a ridiculously small college, won multiple national championships. I think he was part of the graduating class that had more championship wins than overall losses. Like, they won the national championship every year in four years, and in those same four years, they lost a grand total of three games. But then once he got to the NFL, just just cursed. Just straight up cursed. I feel kind of bad for the guy. But it's, uh, it's going to be a wild NFL season. And I am prepared for it. Hopefully this taunting bullcrap from the refs dies down a little bit. I mean, if, if they allowed Lamar Jackson to do a front flip handstand into the end zone on the game-winning touchdown, you can't call anything taunting anymore. But uh, that's what I got for uh, that's what I got for the NFL. Up next, uh, we'll get into some uh, CDL and uh, the insanity that is roster mania continuing well into the offseason. That's coming up next here on the mashup. All right, time to get into a little bit of CDL action because Roster Mania 2021 is even more insane than Roster Mania 2020. And last year, everyone was guaranteed to have to cut a player because and that's that's just how insane this offseason has been. Everyone was guaranteed, there was at least one person from every team. That's 12 players just guaranteed to get cut. That was last offseason. This offseason is even more insane, which is mind-blowing, but it's 100% true. So we have, in the past, in the past two weeks, three new rosters have been 100% confirmed by the teams themselves and the league. LA Thieves and I'd say two out of the three of them definitely got better. One and the third, we'll see. Give you three guesses who that was. It's Seattle. But the two the two LA teams definitely got better. Like the new LA Gorillas, Slasher, Gunless, Asim, and Hook. That is an impressive lineup of four. Like, Gunless was just stuck on a terrible team last year, which is weird because Surge were good on paper, but they just absolutely sucked. They were good on land. They beat Atlanta, and the only team they ever lost to on land was Chicago. So... I don't know what that says about how Seattle actually were last year, but well, uh, it'll be good to see gunless on land again, because I think that was, that was just a thing. Same thing with, same thing with slasher and, and hook. Hopefully, um, hook won't forget how to spell his name or, uh, forget his driver's license, uh, for any of the events next year, just in case, they're still doing Rona testing, even though most of the league will probably be completely vaccinated by next year. And they probably already were, but you know, California and league based in California. Like, but that's, that's a ridiculously good team. And clearly it seems like who's problems on LA thieves were probably not with slasher. They were with everyone else. Hopefully he gets along with Gunless. That's that's my one concern is like because him and Gunless both have very big personalities, and they're kind of they kind of have a reputation. At least the two of them do. Like Slasher and Asim, Slasher and Asim, I think will gel just fine. It like it's it's who can Gunless that I'm concerned about. I think they'll definitely be better because it's hard to be worse than LAG were last year with that kind of talent where, you know, they lost to their own 
academy team and didn't just lose. They got absolutely demolished by their own academy team. Like, that was, in fact, a thing that happened last season. But, yeah, the, I think LAG got better. LAT definitely got better with, I mean, they're keeping Kenny and Draza, who were their two best and most consistent players all of last season. I mean, TJ Haley had his moments, but, like, Kenny and Draza were the big two. And... They bring in Octane, bring bring Samter at home. Like, there there was only one team he was going to. Like, let's be honest, there is only one team Sam LaRue was going to join. And, of course, it was LA Thieves. The video was absolutely hilarious, where he was, he was having nightmares and just, like, talking in his sleep about how much Seattle sucks. Kenny comes in and gives him a freaking surge protector. Like, that was, that announcement video was hilarious. And then their new fourth, they got freaking Envoy. Like, that's a massive improvement. So you got Kenny and Octane as the AR duo, and Draza and Envoy as your two SMGs. That is a significantly better team than what LAT trotted out there at any point last year. Like, any at any point in the season... That is a better team. And, like, I don't think anyone can deny that. And then there's Seattle. Accuracy and Mac, yes. That is, those are two very good players. Accuracy had one of the best, probably the best single single play moment of the season is Accuracy clutching up the round and beating Chicago. That was, that was nuts. No one will ever top that. Like the best overall moments were obviously both at major five was the Seattle upset and rocker resurrection. Like those were the two best overall moments of the season, but the best single play belongs to accuracy. And it was that clutch on Moscow where he just like, what a freaking play. So him joining Seattle that should be a good thing for them, but they're still Seattle. I, I have to see them play. And I will admit, I know basically nothing about Sib and Pred. Sib was a bench guy for Atlanta Phase last year, so he's probably picked up something. Uh, I've seen some people say that he's also a bit of a hothead. I mean, accuracy is going to have to... Accuracy is probably going to have to step up and be a bit of a veteran leader on this team. Cause I don't think Pred's all that old either. And Mac is going into what his third season as a pro, his second full season as a pro. Cause he's really only played a season and a half. He joined NYSL midway through the 2020 season. Don't forget. So he's really only played a season and a half in the CDL. He's ridiculously good, but this is uh I don't know how I feel about this team yet. Like, just because it's Seattle, I have to see them play. I I don't trust that org at all. Like, I, I don't trust that org as far as I can throw them. I don't think they can do anything right. But two orgs that two orgs that did do things right, Toronto and Minnesota. They're keeping their rosters. Bance, Cami, Kleenex, and um Frick. Bants, Cami, Kleenex, and I I'm totally blanking on who the uh who the fourth guy is. I'm I'm going to uh look that up right now. Toronto Ultra. Is Bants, Cami, Kleenex, and God dang it, I can't remember his name. But it's it's the same four as uh, as last year, which is good because they were a ridiculously good team last year, and I'm glad they're sticking together. Uh, same thing with Rocker; they're they're sticking together, which again, good thing. 
Like it's hard to, uh, it's hard to say, oh yeah, the major five champions who had like one of the best, who were res- Insight. That's the fourth guy. Cami, Insight, Bance, and Kleenex are are a perfectly good team. There's no snaking in Vanguard, which has me a little worried for Bance, but I think Toronto will be fine. Like, if he's not the guy, they'll, they'll find someone else. And Minnesota also sticking together. Again, good choices all around. Because, I mean, like, it's the roster that... It's the roster that won them the Rocker Resurrection. Why break them up? Like, it's pretty simple. Why, uh, why break that team up? You had, you had one of the best moments in COD esports history. Why change your roster? So I think this is overall good for the CDL because. I would say, I would say with, with Krim all but confirmed to be joining NYSL and the remaining two players on Optic and uh, Empire merging into one team, like you're going to have a solid, like instead of a top tier of two, there's going to be a top tier of six. Because Atlanta, Optic, Dallas, LAG, LAT, New York, Minnesota. Those are going to be your six best teams next year, depending on what the Chicago slot ends up being. Because apparently, NRG wants to sell the Chicago franchise, which I, I don't think is much of a surprise. I, I thought they'd keep it. But maybe, maybe when expansion rolls around, they'll buy back in and just start from the ground up with their own team and actually have them in San Francisco. So this new COD team and the shock can be together in the same city and, you know, work out of the same facility and all that other stuff. But it's, uh, apparently they want to sell to monumental. Now, if you've never heard the name monumental before, I'm not surprised. Uh, that is the ownership group of, the Washington Wizards, the Washington Capitals, uh, various other Washington sports teams, and the Washington Justice of the Overwatch League. So, uh, I'd be okay with that. Not because they'd become my team or anything, but that'd be a home series that I could much get to much easier than New York or Chicago. Or Boston, or not Boston, but New York, Atlanta, Florida, Texas, two in California. Like, most of the teams are not that geographically close to me. D.C. would be. And uh, I would 100% go to that home series. Like, no question in my mind, I would 100% go to that. So I kind of hope that happens, even though I wanted a team in Philly. I know it will happen eventually, Hopefully they expand after this year. I think, uh, I think if this year goes, if this coming season, the 2022 season goes really well and it's always a home series and the majors all pop off and champs pops off at the end of the season. I think you'll start to see some expansion buzz. And I think Philly is going to be at the front of that list because Philadelphia is the esports capital of the U.S. I don't care what anyone says. Or at least they want to be. Philadelphia is the esports capital of the U.S. And hopefully they can get a CDL team because uh, I want a CDL team that's a little bit closer to home. I, I Like, LA, LA Thieves are my team right now because of the 100 Thieves connection, but it feels weird cheering for a team from Los Angeles. So hopefully that, that Philly team will come sooner than later, but seems like right now we're uh, we're gonna lose Chicago and the Chicago God knows what because they're not optic anymore and we'll get a uh, we'll get a team in DC 
I don't know what they're going to call themselves, but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. That's definitely a, a story to keep an eye on as part of this absolutely insane offseason. But uh, that's what I got for the CDL. Up next, we'll uh, take a uh, take a dive into back into football, but uh, on Saturdays instead of Sundays. We'll get into some college football up next here on the mashup. All right, college football time. And uh, part of my uh, part of my good weekend between the Ravens winning, the Steelers losing, also included Liberty winning on Saturday when uh, a uh, a defensive back from Old Dominion, Liberty's opponent, by the name of Harrell Blackman, decided to uh, talk some talk a little smack about uh, Lamar Jackson's passing ability. Uh, let's just say, uh, Blackman ended up with one tackle and one pass breakup in an entire 60 minute game and gave up a crap ton of yards. I never got the actual count, but I know it was a lot. Um, my other question about Liberty before I move on, what else do they have to do to be ranked? Like, I know they haven't beaten that much in the way of competition. Like, sure, Campbell is no threat to anyone with a... Heisman candidate quarterback and, uh, basically exactly the same offense as a, as an 11 and one season last year. Like Campbell is no threat to that team at all, but they beat him 48 to seven <laughs> last, last weekend they beat Troy and, or two weeks ago they beat Troy. And this past weekend they beat the crap out of old dominion too. They pushed, they did not cover. But they were pretty darn close to covering. They absolutely dominated that game. It's still a 28-point win. How are they still not ranked? Like, I know they, they keep climbing and others receiving votes. Like, they're 26th in the coaches' poll. Or effectively 26, which means they're first in others receiving votes. In the AP poll, they're second. They're right behind TCU. But, like, some of these other teams that are ranked ahead of them... UCLA probably should not still be ranked. Auburn, they can stay ranked because their only loss is to Penn State and we'll get to that. But some of these other teams, multiple top 25 teams lost this week and Liberty still didn't move it in, in and take any of their places. Like, that's just, that just feels wrong. <laughs> But we'll, uh, I mean, they still have a Heisman candidate quarterback in, uh, in Malik Willis. Can't forget that. Like if you would have told me that, if you would have told me that a few years ago, like we were saying that about Josh Woodrum and, and Buckshot Calvert as a joke. Now it's actually a legitimate thing. Like, my freshman year. No, it wasn't my freshman year. I think it was, uh, I think it was my sophomore year. Yeah, it was my sophomore year because they were better that year. It was my sophomore year. We were saying Josh Woodruff for Heisman as a freaking joke. Because we, like, we knew it wouldn't actually happen, but we wanted to support our quarterback. We said the same thing about Buckshot. Like, oh yeah, Buckshot for Heisman. Like, it was, it was a meme. None of us took it seriously. Now when we say Malik Willis for Heisman, we're actually being serious. Like, it is an actual thing that Liberty's quarterback could win the Heisman Trophy this year. If they stay undefeated, he's got a pretty guard, darn good chance at it. Like, they have multiple Power 5 teams on the schedule, including an SEC team. They have other ranked teams. Like, why are they not ranked? I know, uh... Louisiana Lafayette dropped out. What did what did they do to drop? Who did they lose to that they they dropped out? Oh, don't call them Louisiana Lafayette. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Only beating Nichols State by three will uh, will not help your case for staying ranked. I mean, oh, they lost uh, they lost big to Texas, and that's that's when they dropped. Okay, that makes sense. 
And are they still... Are they still getting votes? It doesn't look like they are. That's a shame. I, w I would have loved to have a ranked matchup in Lynchburg in November. Yeah, maybe if they can... No, they lost to Texas. That was their that was like their one hope of staying ranked was winning that game. But enough about enough about Liberty and my shock at how good they've become in just a few years, really. Like it hasn't been all that long, if you really think about it. Like they weren't that good. For a few years when I was on campus. Now, they're really good. They have a chance to go undefeated this year. But obviously, I mean, we I didn't get the chance to uh, talk about it just because, like, I was clearly not meant to do a show last week. But... Week two was the week of upsets. Like, week two was the week of monumental upsets. Oregon beating Ohio State in Columbus and just rocketing up the polls. Notre Dame barely hanging on against Toledo. Texas A&M barely hanging on against Colorado. Iowa beating Iowa State, they technically an upset because Iowa's ranked lower, but it's only one spot in the polls in their in-state rival, so I don't really consider that an upset. Arkansas beating the ever-loving crap out of Texas, that was one of the big ones. And the one that really surprised me, Jacksonville State beating FSU in Tallahassee. Like, I know Jacksonville State is a good F FCS team, they kicked the crap out of Liberty not that long ago. I know they're a good FCS team. But I did not expect them to walk into Tallahassee and get a absolutely insane walk-off touchdown win. Like, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch that video and try to find one with the Jacksonville State radio call. It is absolutely insane. And the video is hilarious of the Jacksonville State players just mobbing each other at midfield as a couple Florida State cheerleaders walk past and the look of just pure shock on their faces. The contrast is pretty hilarious. I think that picture will live on in memes and GIFs for a very long time. <laughs> Particularly one of the male cheerleaders like had an absolute look of stun on his face. Like his jaw was hanging wide open. It was, it was pretty funny. But I'm, I'm just absolutely shocked they lost that game. They probably shouldn't have, and uh, I think that's going to keep them out of the top 25 for the rest of the year. Not like they were there, but that's going to that's gonna basically guarantee, no matter what they do the rest of the way, they're not going to be in the top 25. At all. But it's, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited for the rest of college football season. I think, one, the fact that fans are back and not just fans, but also the marching band and the cheerleaders being back too, like, makes so much of a difference. Like, Big Ten games without the bands there was awful. Big, Big Ten games in empty stadiums were terrible because... If you really get right down to it, Big Ten football is kind of boring. It's kind of slow. Big Ten football is a little on the boring side for college football. They don't go all that fast. But when there's a crowd there, and they're going absolutely nuts, it's a pretty darn good time. And nowhere was that more evident than in Happy Valley this past weekend. My God. Penn State was steaming hot garbage last year they were terrible I mean, they had a bunch of guys opt out playing in an empty stadium all year probably sucked it sucked to watch but they were absolutely abysmal last year that is not the case this year and my god beaver stadium was rocking like i don't like penn state i can't stand penn state but 
I can't deny that was one hell of an atmosphere. Like props to you, Penn State fans. That was that was a beautiful thing to witness. Like that's up there with uh, Camp Randall doing jump around week one and Lane Stadium doing Enter Sandman week one. Like, oh my God, you guys, you guys did amazing. And, like, they got the win. They got a relatively comfortable win against Auburn. I mean, Auburn uh, Auburn picked the wrong quarterback. <laughs> Auburn picked the wrong quarterback. Bo Nix is, Bo Nix is not very good. I think, uh, I think anyone who even kind of watches college football can acknowledge that um, Bo Nix is really bad. At least for a guy playing at a... At a ranked SEC school, I don't think he's good enough. And uh, they went with him over Malik Willis. Their loss is Liberty's gain, because uh, we might have a Heisman winner, and they still have Bo Nix. And a loss to Penn State. I mean, Penn State's ranked higher than them. Penn State's ten; they're twenty-two. Like, but that's still. That's still an impressive win for Penn State because everyone just kind of assumes SEC teams are better than Big Ten teams. Even when that's not at all the case. Like Penn State is better than Auburn and they proved it in that game this weekend. And you know what? I'm happy for them. It's better for the Big Ten and as a Maryland fan, kind of a Maryland fan, Liberty's obviously my number one, kind of a Maryland fan, uh, that's, that's a good thing for me too. I don't know exactly what Maryland's going to do this year, but they, they're definitely better than they've been. But, uh, yeah, everyone is beatable this year. That That's very clear. After three weeks of college football, it's very clear that everyone is vulnerable and everyone is beatable, except maybe Alabama. And even then, they haven't exactly played the highest quality of competition. Because I... Uh, and when they did, it was close. Like, Florida Florida put a scare on them a little bit. Like, they like they got up early, and then Florida came back. Like, Florida got up early, and then in the second half, Florida came back. Alabama got up early. Like, so maybe Bama's not as invincible this year as they've been, uh, as they've been in, uh, in recent years. But I won't believe it till I see them actually lose a game they should dominate. I won't believe it till I see them lose. And they probably won't lose until the playoff this year if they lose at all. Because they are still Bama. And until that changes, I'm not picking against them. And let's just let's just take a look at their remaining schedule. Um Southern Miss, Old Miss, Texas AM, Mississippi State, Tennessee, LSU, New Mexico State, Arkansas, Auburn. Uh, they're going to be favored in every single one of those games. Probably by a lot. Let's see what the line is for Southern Miss this week. It's probably nuts. Okay, no no sign of the line just yet. Let's, uh, let's see if I can find it. Is there a line for that game? Minus 44 and a half. <laughs> Which they will probably cover. Yeah, they they are so, so much better than everyone else. It's not even funny. They're 44 and a half point favorites against Southern Miss. They will probably still cover that because they're Bama. But maybe, maybe week four will actually be interesting because week four is, uh, is not that great in terms of top 25 games like Notre Dame and Wisconsin should be good but Penn State's playing Nova Georgia's playing Vandy 
most of most of the ranked teams are double digit favorites. Iowa State's only seven and a half over Baylor, but Coastal's thirty six against UMass. Iowa's twenty three point favorites over Colorado State. Clemson's going to, they're only 10 point favorites, but they're probably going to beat the doors off NCSU. Texas A&M's five and a half over Arkansas. That might be interesting. Rutgers and Michigan, Michigan's going to beat the doors off of them. Auburn, Georgia State, Tennessee, Florida, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. That one could be okay. But most of these games, not all that interesting. Oklahoma and West Virginia might be a thing. Just because, like, West Virginia's shown they're pretty good-ish. And Oklahoma's proven to be uh, occasionally vulnerable. But that game's in Norman, so maybe not. So hopefully this game, this weekend, ends up being a little better better than it looks on paper. But uh, I'm not crossing my fingers just yet. But I say that, and there'll be upsets galore this weekend. So maybe maybe putting putting it out into the universe that I think these games are kind of going to be kind of boring might lead to just rampant upsets. But uh, that's what I got for college football. Up next, we'll uh, get into uh, some of the other gaming stories. There's uh, some good news and some bad news. Mostly bad news, honestly, which kind of sucks. But we'll get into that up next here on The Mashup. All right, just some other general gaming news before we uh wrap up the show for this week um let's start with the bad stuff first so one of the lesser bad stories uh battlefield got delayed and it got delayed until uh two weeks after vanguard launches because vanguard launches on november 5th i have that date circled because i'm going to request it off so i can just play vanguard all but that was the big thing for Battlefield was that it comes out before Vanguard by almost a month. It was supposed to come out in October. That game was supposed to come out in like three weeks. But now they're pushing it all the way back to November 19th. That's a long way off. I mean, sure, they probably need to fix things, which I'm glad they're, they're pushing it back. To, uh, you know, not have to worry as much about the state of the game. But if it comes out on the 19th and it still sucks. And it's still like a buggy mess. Which, if they're delaying it, is probably the case. Like, they're delaying it over a month. That game was supposed to come out in October. That's that's not going to be good for them. That's not going to be good for them at all because everyone's going to go to Call of Duty first. And everyone's just going to be used to playing that. Now, there are the Battlefield diehards who would rather play that, but that's now coming out after Call of Duty and Halo. That's really not good. Because it was supposed to come out before both of them. Call of Duty was supposed to be last. Now it's... uh, now it's going to, now Call of Duty is going to be second, depending on when, uh, depending on when Halo launches. So that's, uh, that's not a good look for EA. It's not a good look for EA at all, really. And, like, I feel bad for Battlefield fans, but... And I was going to play that game and I probably still am because it's it's going to be on Game Pass. Like, I can play that game for free. But still, that, that just sucks. Like, that game... One, the initial, like, reveal trailer set to kickstart my heart was so good. <laughs> like, that trailer was really good. But we got to wait. We got to wait a while now to play that game. And by then... I'm going to be so sucked into Infinite and Vanguard, I'm probably not going to want to play Battlefield. Because I've never been much of a Battlefield guy. I'll probably still play it, because, again, I'll basically get it for free. But that's... uh, 
It's it's not a good look for them. That's a big, big, big L for EA. Not as big of an L as uh, Activision took on Monday, where the SEC is now investigating them for destroying evidence related to the lo- the sexual harassment lawsuit. Great, great job. Sexual misconduct and workplace discrimination is the exact wording of the lawsuit. And apparently they're destroying evidence that is connected to that lawsuit. Which, um, not a good look, Activision. Not a good look at all. I mean, everyone already hates you. You don't need to go making it worse. But uh, they decided to go make it worse. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal also reports that Activision Blizzard has been subpoenaed along with several of its high-ranking executives, including CEO Bobby Kotick, who was compensated $30.1 million in, in 2019. The SEC is asking for multiple documents, including transcripts of board meetings since 2019, separation agreements with Stafford, and personnel files. Uh, an Activision Blizzard spokesperson, spokesperson confirmed to the Wall Street Journal that the scope of the subpoenas covers both cur- former and current employees. So yeah, that's, um, that's not good. That's really, really not good. Hopefully Vanguard ends up being good because Activision needs a win. Activision needs another win because this is, because the CDL distracted from this mess a little bit between Major 5 and, and Champs both being really good events. But Activision needs another win on the game front. So uh, I hope Vanguard ends up actually being good. Because they're going to need it. I I still think it's time to just burn that freaking company to the ground and start over. Because it's kind of a mess. And they probably need a complete overhaul and a complete change. Because newsflash guys changing the name of a character in overwatch because he's named after one of the toxic assholes that used to work for you doesn't change the fact that you hired a bunch of toxic assholes like changing mccree's name in overwatch does absolutely nothing like most people know jesse mccree to be the overwatch character who is basically just matt mercer with a gun not Jesse McCree, the guy who was involved in multiple occurrences of workplace sexual misconduct. Like, when I hear the name Jesse McCree, I think the cowboy with Matt Mercer's voice. Not the other guy. Not the guy he's named after. So newsflash, Active Blizzard, changing his name doesn't do a thing. Unless you do... Unless you change the fact that you hired a guy like Jesse McCree in the first place. The real Jesse McCree, not not the character. But enough of the bad news. There was there was some good news today. I, I, I assume it's good news because I like this guy. But Tim the Tatman, after years of being independent, has signed with an org. Complexity Gaming, who have never been much on the content front, they, they've never been a content org. They've always been a competition-first org. Like, very good. Very good CS team. Very good Call of Duty team. They didn't get into the CDL, and since they're owned by Jerry Jones, them not getting Dallas probably hurt a lot. But... They've had uh they've had good they've had good teams and they still have a good CS team. Their their Valorant team's not amazing, but they do have teams and Tim has said that he is just the first in a wave of other content creator signings. I think um I, I think Cloaksy could very well be on that list. He's probably going to Hundred Thieves, but that's what we said about Tim. I thought it was basically just sign, sealed, delivered that Tim was going to 100 Thieves. Like, I saw three possibilities. He signs with 100 Thieves. He signs with FaZe so he can be with Nick. Or Nick leaves FaZe 
And the two of them got some investors together and pulled their own money because they're both loaded. And they have they have connections. They pulled their money and got some investors and started their own org. Like, I thought that was a very real possibility. But I was close. Tim is now a part owner of Complexity. So indirectly, this diehard cowboy, not even indirectly, this diehard Cowboys fan is now a business partner of Jerry Jones. So big W for Tim. And I think this is a good thing for Complexity because with Tim, they're going to step up their content game. And that can only be a good thing for esports is more orgs just getting into the content game because that's the key. You got to make content if you want to build fans. If you want to build a fan base, you can't just be good. Not in the esports scene. You you can't. Like, you literally can't just be good. You have to also make good content. And with Tim's help, Complexity is more than capable of doing that. But that's what I got for this episode of the Mashup. Hope you all enjoyed. Hope you all enjoy the rest of your week and your weekend. And uh, talk to you guys next Tuesday. See you then. While the devil's horns minced our tender meat And so cried the witcher, he can't be bleed Toss a coin to your witcher, O valley of plenty O valley of plenty, oh Toss a coin to your witcher, O valley of plenty